today we are in for a treat. Uh, Caroline Park is going to continue in this sermon series we've been doing, When Walls Come Down. Let's welcome Caroline. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Great to have you. Before um, I start talking, I would like to draw your attention to one more event that's happening next Sunday. Uh, it's monthly family lunch during the second service on the second floor. Uh, we just gather casually over pizzas. Kids are welcome, and it's a space to connect with each other for the families. This um, February lunch will be a special lunch because it will be uh, the ASHA Project Day. So ASHA is an organization in India um, that we are we partner with, and they. Um, serve the people in slum communities in New Delhi. And we have ongoing relationship with them. Our team is going over this February, right before uh, 11th, I think. Um, so now that we already have this relationship with them, we want to connect the kids at the river with the kids at Asha on more uh, so that they can kind of get to know each other on a regular basis. So that's what's happening. So at the lunch, the families can hear more about it. You will get a chance to be part of the gift-making project that we are doing for Asha. So join us. Uh, if you are interested, you can check the connection card. I saw that it doesn't have a checkbox, but you can just write family lunch. Okay, so we're currently in the sermon series called When Walls Come Down. And the premise of the series is that God's spirit is moving to bring down walls in this world. Paul said in Galatians, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we see this as a prophetic declaration. God is doing away with the walls between races, classes, and gender. And when I say genders, it is not just the discrimination against women, but all gender-related discrimination, including LGBTQ plus people and women. God's redemptive story is moving toward a radical inclusion of all. And on that premise, this series is about reflecting on what that might mean for me in my life here. How can I move with God and his spirit in bringing down walls around us? So as part of the series, Charles gave a talk last week about dealing with pain speaking from his personal experience of living with his chronic pain, back pain, for decades, and how pains like that can lead to building walls around us. And if you listen to his talk last week or during the week, maybe, maybe a thought crossed your mind. I wonder what, what's, like, what's it like to, for his wife? Maybe. <laughs> um, well, I happen to be his wife, so that's what I'm going to talk about today with you. Uh, responding to someone else's pain. 
because having someone close to us in life who lives with long-term pains, whether that's physical, emotional, or circumstantial, it affects our life deeply as well. And it, itself, it is itself a hardship. And it can lead us to putting up walls around us and robbing us of the ability to experience um, love and deeply connect with others, ourselves, and God. So I want to share my personal experiences today, especially for those of you who might be in the similar situation. But this topic of how to respond to others without putting up a wall is an important topic to consider even if you don't have someone in your, in your life who are in pain. It is an important topic to consider at a, at a society level where we live with groups of people who are in pain in the same community but may not be in direct contact with us. When we talk about bringing down the walls in this world regarding race and class and gender, we can say that these are moral issues or ethics. We just need to figure out what's the right thing to do or biblical thing to do. But it is also about our fellow human beings, deeply so. It's about fellow human beings who are hurt and in pain. Maybe we don't know them personally, but nevertheless, they are in our communities. Racism or sexism and other kinds of discrimination is often the fundamental failure to appreciate the pain the others are experiencing. And in some cases, the pain that we are inflicting on them. So I hope this topic of responding to others' pain will be relevant to all of us, regardless of our personal experiences. Let me pray for us to start. God, I pray for your presence here, that you be here with us, that you would help us feel safe and secure, and that you would, we would help us to open ourselves up to you and what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The dynamic of living with someone else's pain is complicated. It's, uh, there, there's a lot of emotional and relational traps around it. First of all, to see someone you care about in pain is painful. And we don't want to open ourselves up to pain. We're always tempted to look away or minimize it or, or rush in to fix it because we don't want to experience it. And if that someone is close to you, your spouse, your parent, your child, your sibling, your close friend, your significant others, their pain and the resulting limitations change the shape of your life as well. Charles shared openly last week about his chronic pain um, and how he, it limits his physical abilities, like he can't bend to pick up things or he can't lift anything um, heavy. 
among other things. And also how his mind um, seeks distraction because of the pain, constant pain. And these things affect not only his life and my life as well, deeply. It, it, it kind of has become my hardship and, and a loss in a way. It involves the loss of freedom and the, and the loss of physical, emotional, and financial resources. His constant pain is felt in my life constantly. And it is a particular kind of pain for me to deal with, but it is also an invisible kind. It's often unseen and underappreciated, and it can be isolating. Not only that, there are a lot of guilt everywhere, internal and external guilt, because we have limited resources, um, energy, time, money, um, even compassion. So it often feels like my need and someone else's need are in competition with each other. And of course, Charles pain is greater, which really is comparing apples and oranges, but we don't seem to be able to stop comparing and measuring everything against everything else, which is a different story. Um, but he is the one who is in pain, so it brings up guilt when I feel upset about the situation. Uh, there's also the expectation from the society. Of course you will have compassion when your husband is in pain. Of course you will be kind and patient when it is your own brother or sister or child or wife or husband, friend who is in pain. That's what a good person does. It is unloving of you to complain about this. And no one might explicitly say this to you, but you feel the unspoken pressure. Then, on top of all that, there are baggages from our childhood. We tend to have not so healthy relationship with pains and don't really know how to process it in a way that brings down walls around us instead of building them. So in my case, I grew up with a sibling who seemed to be in a constant state of turmoil. He had um, the great emotional and mental instability that took up all the attention and energy in the family. And it got worse and worse as we grew older. My parents were at their wit's end. They didn't know how to help him. And themselves in a lot of pain over having to watch their child in pain and their own sense of helplessness and failure. So you can see I grew up with a lot of people in pain. My siblings' need was always greater and more urgent and I was quiet and independent. So though my anger and pain ran deep, it was mostly out of sight and invisible. I was expected to be caring for my sibling, be understanding of my uh, parents' pain, even though I was 
fearful, fearful of my siblings' outburst and volatility. My, um, my pain was not acknowledged by anyone. There was just no room for it. And my siblings' pain was too scary for me to empathize with. So I learned to deal with neither my own pain and loneliness nor my family's pain. What I learned instead is to shut down my pain and to close myself off from my, um, from my own pain with the attitude of, what well, that's life. Just suck it up. Don't complain. I also closed myself off from the other's pain, saying, well, I will do what is needed, but don't ask me to be tender with you. I can't actually feel your pain. And even as a mother now, um, tenderness is not my strong suit. But this skill helped me survive as a child growing up, perhaps. But it, it also closed me off from deeper life and deeper connections. So when Charles re-injured his back a few years ago and was in great pain 24-7 and pretty much in bed all the time, I did everything um, that I needed to do to help him and to fill in the gaps for him. But I couldn't connect with him emotionally. I couldn't connect with my own feelings. I couldn't try to, I couldn't bring myself to understand his pain. I shut down, and this made it very difficult for Charles and for our marriage, so much so that I started um, seeing a therapist again. So it turns out that when we close ourselves off from pain and suffering and shut down a part of ourselves, we end up closing ourselves off from beauty and joy, from life itself, from deeper connections. We cut ourselves off from the very connections that would sustain and strengthen us during times of trial, the very help we need to get through it. There's an interesting story in John 9 that's relevant here, so let me read it for us. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Interesting technique, right? 
But Jesus' disciples' question, is it his sin or his parents' sin? It, it reveals the cultural belief of the time that an afflic- affliction like this was caused by sins, some wrongdoings, by you or your parent. In other words, you deserved it. Victim blaming has a long history. This looking for reason for suffering in the world is a very common way to avoid getting in touch with others' pains. These stories explain the pain away. There was a reason. The person deserved the pain, so I don't really have to feel bad for them. We do this all the time now, too. We come up with narratives to explain away pains in the world so we don't need to let the pains in and let them change our ways of understanding the world. One example is to say that or believe that the poor are poor because they are lazy. If only they worked hard, then they can get education and they can get a good job, and then they wouldn't need government aid. See, if we think in this simplistic cause and effect way, like Jesus' disciples try to, then when we see someone struggling from poverty, poverty, when we see a single mother struggling to support her child on a minimum wage, then we don't need to feel their pain because we can tell ourselves it's their own fault. Trying to help them won't work because it's who they are that's causing this. But what is Jesus saying to them? He takes down their whole worldview and says, neither. You're not looking at it the right way. He says it is so that the power of God could be seen. Now, it, sounds, it can sound a little like this was caused by God so that God can do good things, but that's not what it says. He is saying, don't look at what caused it. Don't look at the past. Look at what God can do from it. Pain and suffering don't always need to be blamed on someone or something. Like Charles talked about last week with his own pain, it's a symptom of living in the imperfect world. And through pain and suffering, God's power can be seen. Through pain and suffering, God's life flows through. I mean, the most amazing example of that is the cross, right? The pain and suffering of Jesus as the result of the ugliness of this world. God turned that around and made that into part of his redemptive plan. How his light, God's light, will get into this world. There is this art technique called um, Kintsukuroi, Japanese art technique, um, and it's, um, it's called, uh, it, it means to repair with gold. It's a 
technique to repair the pottery, broken pottery, with gold, making it even more beautiful than it was uh, than before it was broken. And this seems to really capture the truth of how God can work through pain and suffering. I work with children, so I always feel um, compelled to bring a visual to go along. So if pain and suffering can really be door to God's glory and beauty, we inadvertently shut off God's life flowing into us when we build walls against pain and suffering. And this very dynamic happens later in the story that we were just reading. So let me continue. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and the others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him which was against the Sabbath law, according to their tradition. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Upon witnessing, witnessing this amazing miracle of curing someone born blind, some are amazed. The power, the love, the healing, it must be God. But others seem offended that this happened at all. They had written off people like this blind beggar as cursed by God. His or his uh, parents sinned, probably both did, and they're cursed by God. They don't deserve our sympathy because we are better, we are holier. We don't have an affliction like this because God rewards our holiness. They chose not to see the suffering of the people in their own community. And when it is for those unworthy people's suffering that God came to meet, they are not able to see it. They're not able to see that they, too, can be embraced by God unconditionally, only if they would let him they're not able to see how much love and life of God there is all around us. Rumi, a 13th century Muslim poet and mystic said, your task is not to seek for love, 
but merely seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. We are already surrounded by big love. It is everywhere. It is the barriers in ourselves that are keeping it out. And ironically, one such barrier is the barrier that we build against pain and suffering, and it is keeping the big love out. This perhaps is why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we are to be in touch with heaven, God's love and comfort, we need to bring our own defenses down. But that's not easy. And it takes time. We have lifelong habits of doing it. But I have a few practical suggestions that have helped me and that might help you. So first is to recognize your own loss and pain. If you're in a relationship with someone with long-term pain, maybe it's a physical disability or chronic pain or depression or just a lot of emotional pain from the past or they're going through difficult season in life, Acknowledge that this affects you as well. God sees your pain. Have compassion for yourself. And maybe you don't have the room in your life to fully grieve it and fully mourn it because you are the caregiver, and I understand that. But even just acknowledging that there is pain and that it is hard for you without feeling guilty can create a breathing room for you. Because Jesus is present in your pain as well as the others. God's love flows into your pain as well as the others if you let it. And unlike human love, Jesus' love and attention have no limits. There is no competition. He is fully there for you and fully there for others. And he will meet you there and comfort you and sustain you. This is the truth um, that I had to really learn myself to be able to love my husband well, who is in pain. And because of my upbringing that I shared, I had always felt that my need and my desire came second. They always came after somebody else's. And I raged inwardly against that, but also internalized it somewhat at the same time. And in some ways, I still do. But when I spend time with Jesus and talk to him, I'm always reminded that he sees me fully and always. I have his full attention. I come first. 
and you all come first in God. And when I can believe that, I am able to um, be at peace in the midst of all these imperfect circumstances, in the midst of limitations. I can be almost joyfully at peace, almost. And when I can be compassionate to myself like that, I can be compassionate to Charles too. It makes it much easier to connect to him emotionally and be there for him and have him be there for me and go through this difficult season together. It is just so much more bearable. So how about you? Are there unacknowledged pain in your life? Pain that you avoid thinking about and pain that you try not to access. I want to give ourselves two minutes to think about that and to talk to God about it. And if, if talking about it is hard for you, just say to him, this is hard, God. I am tired. And let God comfort you. So I'll give you two minutes. And even in that space, try to get in touch with God's presence that's all around us, that's filling up this room, God's love that is here. And we don't need to do anything to access that. It's already here. We're in it. There's, there are no walls. Thank you, God. Being able to acknowledge our own pain helps us to see the other's pain. So that is my second suggestion. See the other's pain. Don't look away. Don't just glance, but look them in the eye and see the shapes of their pain. Don't rush in to fix it, which is another way to avoid seeing someone else's pain. Don't go to guilt, because guilt builds walls around us. And it, it makes someone else's pain about us. But try to be present and listen. Let yourself be touched by their pain. In other words, empathize. Sometimes that is all the other person really needs from us. By connecting to them and standing with them in this way, we can ease the burden of their souls and let them know that they are not alone in their pain. And here I want to just make a side note that I am not talking about abusive relationships. That's a very different dynamic from what I'm talking about. So if you are in that kind of relationship, please talk to somebody you trust. You can talk to me or one of the pastors. 
My last suggestion is to cultivate the capacity to notice others' pain. Maybe you are not in the season of having to carry others' pain with, with you. Um, but pain is all around us. Whether we are aware of its effect on us or not, whether we know, these, know them personally or not. Noticing others' pain and empathizing with them is participating in the spirit's movement to bring down walls around us. So let's learn to notice the other's pain. And one way to do this is to learn to deal with your own pain. Because if you're not good at dealing with your own pain, the chances are that you're not going to be good at dealing with someone else's pain. If you have pain from your childhood, like I do, seek healing. This is why I went back to my therapist when Charles re-injured his back a few years ago. And another more fun way to do it is read good fiction. And notice the pains and the characters. This is not the kind of escapism kind of reading, obviously. Uh, but uh, I've always been a big fiction reader, and it may have started um, with avoiding my pain. But reading good stories have always helped me to be wary of stereotyping narratives about people groups and um, understand others' pain who I would not normally be in direct contact with and to see that everyone's pain has a different shape. So I want to recommend a few good ones that I've recently read and have put me in touch with the other's pain. Um, the first one is called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. It's actually a young adult novel. Um, it was very popular last year. It's about a high school girl who witnesses her friend shot down by police and what she experiences from that. Second one is called Bear Town. Uh, it's, this one is about a small town, small hockey town, um, people who live there and who feel trapped by the place that they're born into, the uh, pains and desires uh, that they carry with them. It's a good, great read. Uh, the third one is called Home Fire, and it's about a Muslim immigrant fam family living in London. Um, and dealing with um, their late father, who was a terrorist. So uh, their pains and needs as they try to navigate through those things. Great books. Have fun. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that we're not alone in our pains that you bring, you can bring joy and beauty, life and love, even through the places of our suffering and our um, loved ones' sufferings. So we pray that you would raise our faith 
and trust in that, that we will learn to let down our guard little by little and let you help us through it, let you comfort us, and let you um, help us heal. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us, for your big love that knows no walls. That includes everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.